0: Welcome to another episode of How's the Pressure. I am your host, Haley Winter, and today we have a great show for you. I'm bringing in Ruth Werner to talk about pathology and in the context of massage. Now, Ruth is the past president of the Massage Therapy Foundation. She also helps with the standard setting at the Foundation of State Massage Therapy Boards. She is a reviewer of two different journals, Uh, the Journal of Bodywork and Movement Therapies, and the Journal of Therapeutic Massage and Bodywork. In general, she's a highly decorated and experienced professional in our field, and nowadays she mostly works educating massage therapies about pathology. Now, I had a great conversation with Ruth, and I'm happy I was able to get her to talk about this, because there's no more qualified person to talk about pathology than her. She has authored two books, which are widely used textbooks for massage therapists with regards to pathology. The first one is A Massage Therapist Guide to Pathology, and the second is A Disease Handbook for Massage Therapists. So I hope you enjoy the conversation I had with her, and I look forward to hearing your comments. Without further ado, I give you Ruth Werner. Well, Welcome, Ruth. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: I'm so happy to be here with you.
0: Yeah, this is a, I think, a great opportunity to dive into a subject that doesn't get as much play as it should. Uh,
1: <laughs> it does in my world.
0: Yes. Well, I'm sure you get to talk about it a lot, but for me, this is an exciting new opportunity. So mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm happy to have you on. And uh, you know, you've done, you've written a lot of books, or at least two major books that I know of: for the massage therapist guide to pathology and a disease. Uh, handbook for massage therapists and both of those are widely used by massage therapists and so mm-hmm. you have a lot to say about pathology in the field of, of body work and so I, I have a just want to jump right into it what is if you had to describe what pathology is not in like mm-hmm. a dictionary definition format but if you were to like talk to a massage therapist and kind of explaining your worldview of, of pathology what would you say
1: in, in its strictest and most sort of reductionist um, um, definition, pathology is the study of, of disease. But in the way that I use this term, uh, both in my writing and in my teaching, it's, it's so much bigger than that. Because we are such complicated beings and, and things break, things wear out, things get wonky. And amazingly, we heal, we grow back. We or or we adapt, and um, in the study for our purposes, what's most relevant for massage therapists to understand about pathology is how do we do that? How do we grow back? How do we adapt? How does the body change when we have a bacterial infection or when we have a genetic malfunction? Um, and 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 by understanding that healing or adaptation piece, then we can make some ideas or come up with some ideas about where massage might fit or not fit um, to be, you know, to, to promote that process or at least to stay out of the way. So, so a lot of times people will come into a pathology class or they'll, they'll look at a title of a, of an article on pathology and say, well, what do I want to spend my time thinking about sick people? But, but really it's about the miracle that happens when sick people get better. And, uh, and, and where massage therapy has a role in that. That's, that's my uh, filter with which I teach about this concept of
0: illness. Hmm. Well, it's a much more uplifting way of looking at <laughs> <Yeah>. it
1: <laughs> well, yes.
0: how to work with sick people.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, if you think about someone who lives with a chronic illness, um, they have a particular kind of challenge. And, uh, so, and, and to develop a a sense of a quality of life or a sense of, um, of joy and the gift of being alive, um, you know, they may have a harder time with that than someone who does not struggle with a chronic illness. But the truth is, I mean, we all have struggles. We all have the things that get in our way. Um, and where massage therapy can have a positive influence on somebody's uh, quality of life i think I think we should be prepared to do that as long as we don't create more risks you know in the process, so yeah, sometimes you are talking about people who are ill or people who have limitations but but our work is about setting those limitations aside to see how even if you have limitations, can you still have great quality of life um, and the truth is that that answer better be yes. <laughs> And massage therapy can usually have a pretty positive impact with that.
0: Hmm. Hmm. You're quite prolific, not only in your writing with books, but also in your articles with Massage Today and Massage and Bodywork magazine. Now, I'm sure you've obviously done a lot of research prior to those articles, but what have you learned from writing those articles for massage therapists that's not necessarily within the research?
1: Wow. Um, I have been blessed with many opportunities to write for people who are interested in what I have to say. I wrote for massage today for I can't remember now if it's nine or 10 years I wrote for them for a long time and then had to stop that because I was just so busy with other things. I continue to write for massage and body work what have I learned from it? One of, I mean, we could talk about how to be a prolific writer. Here's, here's the answer to how to be a prolific writer of nonfiction, write the concluding paragraph first, get to your conclusion first. And that way you don't get lost along the way as you're building your outline toward that, toward that finished piece. Right. So, and, and as a writer about massage and pathology, my concluding paragraphs are always about where, it is, but where does massage fit, right? How can we weigh risks and benefits um, to maximize benefits and to minimize risks and to create a session um, that will improve the quality of life and maybe even improve the quality of tissues um, for a person who's living with some kind of challenge or limitation,
0: can you sure. speak to the risks? Because you mentioned oh, yeah. the, the risks versus the rewards and minimizing the risks. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of a lot of body workers want to avoid the risks. But right. is, is, that, is that actually possible?
1: Well, sure. It's to not do anything at all. I mean, you know, the, the, if you want to never, ever have the risk of ever making a mistake, then just don't do the thing. Um, that's not a practical Answer to this question of weighing risks and benefits in the context of body work. But, um, you know, there are all kinds of risks. Here's the thing um, massage therapy, by and large, is an extremely safe intervention. And there is some literature collected on um, uh, bad outcomes or adverse effects or adverse events that have happened where that blame has been laid at the massage therapist's feet. And I think. You know, in some of those research, in some of those case reports, um, that might be accurate. And in some of those case reports, you know, I look at them and I go, oh, from what I understand, I don't, you know, there's, there's a, there's a flaw in this logic, but we do have some in the medical record, a small number of situations where it seems fairly clear that a massage therapist did some substantial harm, um, and, you know, that harm can take, I mean, usually when we talk about an adverse effect in relationship to massage, we're talking about someone who's sore the next day or who sore for a day or two, or who might have some bruising. Um, and, and in the large, you know, picture of adverse events, these are not terribly serious. Um, still, I think it's in general, best to avoid those adverse events when we can, but there are other much more serious adverse events that are rare but possible. And examples would be things like um, oh, if someone has a DVT and they get a nice rigorous. Do you know what DVT is? Let me deep vein
0: thrombosis.
1: Well done. You must have had a great pathology teacher. <laughs> um, yeah, so if someone has a DVT, a deep vein thrombosis in their leg, um, and although they can also be in the pelvis. So the thigh and the pelvis are really common places for these. And if it's in the pelvis, it's not something that's going to create a lot of symptoms. Um, but if someone has a DVT and they get a really rigorous, petrissage, moving a lot of fluid kind of mechanical-based massage, the risk is substantial that that clot could fragment and bits of it end up in the lung. And that's a pulmonary embolism. And that kills about 200,000 people each year um, that we know of not from massage therapy, but just from a fragmented DVT. So that's an example of a risk. And I cannot tell you how many people in my career have written me letters or come up to me in classes or workshops and said, I had a client who, you know, and one leg was cold and clammy and the other leg felt kind of normal, or this pregnant lady was complaining about this deep ache in her calf. And I just didn't feel right about it. Sent her to the ER and yeah, it was a clot. Um, you know, lots and lots of stories about people sort of narrowly missing, narrowly dodging the bullet, if you like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: kind of a violent simile, but um, it, risk of uh, avoiding the risk of causing substantial harm because they were paying attention, paying really good, close attention to the quality of people's tissues, listening to the way they describe what they're going through. Right. Um, so that's, you know, that's a, a fairly simple example of a risk. but
0: Well, I think that that makes sense. I mean, what you're talking about is saying that, you know, it's not possible to avoid all risks, but if you're paying mm-hmm. attention, you can avoid the ones that really matter or that have, that have most significant, of most of the time. You can, yeah. you can mitigate your significant risk factor considerably by paying attention, by knowing what to look for.
1: Right. By knowing what to look for. And that, that encompasses a couple of things. One of them is being, you know, well-educated about pathology. Um, And another is being well-educated about client endangerment sites. And um, I'm always a little bit frustrated. I'm not a little bit frustrated. I'm always quite frustrated when I hear stories about massage therapists doing weird things because they may not have been adequately educated. Um, either in in the context of pathology or in the context of endangerment sites. And these are not the most exciting part of a course, right? But they are the part of the course that help help you become a safe practitioner. It's sort of job security for me, right? And if you want to be a massage therapist, you better know something about pathology. Um, not because it makes you, not because it adds to your skills as a brilliant bodywork practitioner, but because it helps you be safe. It's about, it's about public safety.
0: Hmm. So, why do you think more massage therapists don't have a detailed understanding of pathology?
1: I think there are a lot of factors in this, and I don't want to I don't want to convey the thought that I feel like all massage therapists are undereducated in pathology because I don't think that that's true. I think most of them are are pretty adequately educated. I would love to see people get more excited about About Pathology, because I think it's really exciting, especially what we began with, which is this idea that that the illness is only one side of the coin. It's the getting better part that's much, much more relevant for massage therapists and exciting and exciting. Exactly right. And so why isn't it exciting for people who are who are entering the field? Well, it could be that, um, you know, maybe their teacher wasn't super thrilled about teaching pathology. Or people will enter a class, a pathology class, or even a workshop, um, which is theoretically voluntary, right? Uh, with an idea or a sort of a, a, a starting place of fear or defensiveness, or um, uh, the idea or taking things, you know, really, really seriously, internalizing things. And this happens when we or someone close to us goes through some kind of serious medical issue. And then when, you know, me, the teacher, when I get up there and I talk about all the weird and awful things that can happen with the digestive tract, you know, I actually saw them, I'm, I'm referring to a specific incident, one incident when I was teaching a class on, oh, so it was a class on irritable bowel syndrome, which is a, a, a chronic pain issue, but that is not structural. So what we have in IBS is a colon with very disorganized peristaltic contractions instead of the highly coordinated parasaltic contractions that it's meant to have. Um, And the result is lots of pain and gas and bloating and alternating constipation and diarrhea. Aren't you glad we're talking about poop? It's not really really what you (laughs) want to talk about. It's
0: exactly what I was looking for.
1: Awesome. Um, But the wonderful, wonderful thing about IBS is that it's a functional problem, not a structural one. So I was listing off all the things it's not, right? There's no scarring. There's no strictures, there's no fistulae, there's no tumors, there's no ulcerations, there's no internal bleeding. And I was listing off all these things that happen in the the GI tract with the more serious diseases, not realizing that the woman in the front row was beginning to weep because I was describing a person in her life who had been going through all those things. Where my point of view is, isn't IBS great because it's none of those horrible things? So, I mean, so people will come into a pathology class or, or a workshop with a lot of their own personal history that strikes very close to their heart. And as a teacher, it becomes challenging to be upbeat, to be focused on our healing capacity, to be humorous without making fun of people. Um, that is a fine, fine line to tread. And, and once I sort of caught on to this one student having this, this very, you know, deep reaction, um, I finished my segment. We took a break. I checked in with her to find out what was going on and, you know, things were fine because, you know, she just, she just had a thing in her life that she was having a hard time with, um, but that's, you know, that's one of the things that makes teaching pathology particularly challenging is it takes a level of sensitivity that um, and, and compassion that, um, you know, maybe you don't need as much in a business class or even in an anatomy class. And a lot of massage therapists are, as we know, very motivated by things that they can touch and feel and manipulate um, Uh, And and pathology is not as much, not as translatable in that way as some other things are. I mean, in in your AMP classes, you can make models of muscles and you can make models of kidneys and you can do all kinds of cool things like that.
0: Right. You can touch the quadricep muscles and identify the difference between the vastus lateralis and the vastus medialis. And
1: And you can contract and look at the lines on the skin. I mean, there's all kinds of great sort of um, mechanics. manual tangible things. Thank you. Tangible things we can do in some of in some of our classes in massage therapy, but in pathology it's a little it's both a little more abstract because it's stuff that you just talk about, and also a little more heartfelt because it's stuff that may really, really touch people. You know, I was teaching a class on heart disease and one of my students, her father had passed away like two weeks ago from a heart attack. And you know in a i mean it was it was wonderful for the class to hear her story because it makes the people that we talk about who are fictional real um, but it was also so tender it was so tender uh, and 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 in a moment like that really hard to to be focused on healing capacity because sometimes it doesn't work.
0: So aside from the obvious benefit of being able to help a broader clientele or better help your existing clientele, what are some of the benefits for massage therapists when they take the time to really understand the intersection of massage and pathology?
1: You know, there are so many answers to that question. So one of them is you can be safe for a broader portion of people. Um, so let's say you're a massage therapist and you want to work only in a recreational setting. So you want to work at a ski resort or you want to work at a desert spa or whatever. And so you figure, all right, I'm just going to really focus on working with healthy people who have a little extra money. And isn't that awesome? It sure is, but sick people go to resorts. Right. Um, and so, and so being well-educated about pathology gives us the skills and, and sort of safety margins to be able to deal appropriately and safely and ethically with a wider portion of of the population. That's one. But I think as, as much as that, what people get from really diving in and, and looking at pathology with the filter of what can my skills do, my bodywork skills, whether you're a massage therapist or a rolfer or a Bowen work practitioner or a or a craniosacral therapist, whatever, whatever your hands-on skills are, and you dive into pathology and you look at, okay, where do I see me fitting into this picture? What it does, for me at least, is is provide um, a really rich and much more whole appreciation for how amazing people are, how amazing the human body is um uh, and and that's true both for conditions that can be really challenging and then we get better or for or for conditions that can be really challenging and then we're just going to have to live with this um and even for conditions that are really challenging and that are going to mark the end of life um because for people who who are who are gifted with that with the ability to, you know with uh, and, and maybe it's not a not everybody would see this as a gift but if you think about someone who, who has an idea about their mortality, um, we can deal with that with anger and with rage and with struggle and everybody goes through that, but we can also deal with that with grace and with appreciation of every moment. You know, grace is really the word that, that captures what I'm after here. And, and my, point about this is that when we learn about pathology and massage, we, we find those moments. We find those moments of, you know, I, I had a dear friend who, who we lost. She was, she's actually mentioned in my book. We lost several years ago to amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, which is the fancy word for Lou Gehrig disease. And she knew, she knew, you know, a couple of years, probably ahead of time, what she was about to go through. And, and we were into, she lived 3000 miles from me. I was on, I wasn't unable to be with her, but we were in touch more or less every day until it was too hard for her to type. And, and to me, she was an example of great grace. And without knowing the pathology behind it, I, you know, you can still get that. But for massage therapists, we want to know, we want to get at the heart of things, And sort of know what that is from the inside out. And this is a very long way of talking about understanding pathology helps us to appreciate ourselves, our lives, the people around us, and our clients and the struggles that they bring to us much more compassionately.
0: Yeah. It Um, it adds to the reward that you receive from the work you do already yes you have a deeper appreciation for the benefit and the amazingness of the of of the recovery or lack thereof that you're about to to see
1: yeah exactly yeah that's yeah Mm. so so what is kind of heavy but
0: (laughs) but this is i think what we're talking about right and pathology has this dual side right it is both heavy and really amazing at the same time Mm -hmm. and you can't say it's one and not the other, because then you're, you're not, you're not viewing the whole thing, um, accurately. You're not, be, you're not, you're not really showing it in its full capacity.
1: Right? Yeah. You're not being think,
0: truthful about it.
1: Yeah. I think that's absolutely, that's absolutely right.
0: Yeah. In your experience, what is the most common misunderstanding that massage therapists have about pathology?
1: That it's about sick people.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah.
1: That 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 all all you learn when you take a pathology class is is you know how the common cold virus makes you sick. And yeah, that's part of what you learn. But what 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 you don't know until you take a pathology class is that the reason you feel sick is that your immune system is clearing the decks. Right. Mm. So so that that you know the fever and the sniffles and the headache and the the. My, my kid used to call it feeling craptacular. That craptacularity is actually a sign of a wonderful and functioning immune system, and isn't that fabulous?
0: Mm. So <laughs> it's a nice reframe. Let me tell you, yeah. 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 So let's take this to a more specific and practical application. I know we mentioned uh, deep vein thrombosis at one point, but mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit about like diabetes and how yeah. massage therapists can work with diabetes?
1: I'd love to. Um so every once in a while I encounter someone I, I have a I have recently made a friend for instance who is an OBGYN and he said, "Well, what do you do?" and I said, "Well, I'm an educator about pathology for massage therapists." And he kind of went, "Really? Massage therapists need to know about pathology? Why?" And I said, "You know, there's a really good one-word answer for that, and it's diabetes." And he, and he thought about that for a second and he went, oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's diabetes. And, I, and I'm going to, you know, to start this, I'll say diabetes, we'll, we'll talk mainly about type two diabetes, which is by far the most common kind. Um, it affects almost 30 million Americans. I think the estimate, current estimates are about 29 million people. And that's about a 10th of us. We're, they, we're at about 311 million people in the United States. So uh, 30 million people or close to that are probably in some stage leading toward type 2 diabetes or or they're well into it. And this is a disease that affects the skin and the nervous system and the urinary system. And it affects our um, blood flow and our cardiovascular system. And it is the leading cause of new blindness in people who are under 70. It's the leading cause for non-traumatic amputation. It's, uh, the, I think it's number seven cause of death in the United States. Um, and it costs billions and billions and billions of dollars to treat. And for this version of diabetes that I'm talking about, it actually, you know, is kind of preventable What it takes to prevent it is, is bucking against every possible trend that we have about, about eating habits. But, um, that's, sort of a different
0: point. That's a larger discussion. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's almost
1: kind of a different discussion. But, you know, it is inevitable if you're in the kind of massage therapy practice where you see a, a variety of people and you're not just honing in on, you know, football players or skiers or whatever. If you have just a general practice, you will almost certainly have clients who have diabetes, which means you, I feel it would be a good idea for you to know where they are for kidney function. And for the quality of their skin, and because uh, especially on the feet, the skin can degenerate. And uh, if the nerves are no longer working well, because the nerves get killed off because of poor circulation, then we can develop these sores on the feet and they don't actually hurt. Things that don't hurt are so much more dangerous than things that hurt.
0: Because um, we don't avoid them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to ignore. It's easy. You know, you can look at, it at, your, at your foot and say, wow, that's a really ugly ingrown toenail, but it doesn't seem to hurt. So I just don't really have to look at that now. Um, ingrown toenails can you know, be potentially very, very serious um, for someone who has poor circulation in their feet. So kidney function, skin health, cardiovascular health, it's, it's a leading cause of stroke. Um, because of the way of the changes in the way that we process sugar and fats. So people with diabetes end up with sort of atherosclerosis on steroids, uh, just really excessive atherosclerosis. And usually when we think about atherosclerosis, you, you may or may not remember from pathology. Um, it's, it's the development of fatty plaques inside the arteries, and it usually concentrates around the heart, right? So the coronary artery, the carotid arteries are the arteries most at risk. But for someone who has diabetes it 's everywhere it 's systemic and it 's that occlusion or that that um, interference with arterial function that leads to having nerves not work well so that we 're not getting the appropriate pain sensation. It also can lead to nerves not working well, even in the central nervous system and Uh, leading cause of new blindness, I said that, and that's partly because of damage to nerves to the eye and and also because we can have so much sugar in the bloodstream, it ends up actually in the lens, the crystalline lens of of the eye. Um, It's, I mean, it is a disease that has huge repercussions. It's fabulously common, and it requires some accommodation and adaptation from massage. And basically, those accommodations are going to be related to where your person is, where your client is on their, on their spectrum.
0: So can you give me a few examples of that?
1: Yes, absolutely. So let me ask you this, Haley, do you have any bad habits that you do and you know, they're not good for you and you do them anyway?
0: Yes, I do.
1: (laughs) I think it's fair to say that. Yeah, we all have, we all have those and my cup of coffee is downstairs or I would take a, a sip of coffee right now to demonstrate that. But the stakes for many of us who indulge in these bad habits that we know are not, are not great for us are typically not the same kind of stakes as someone who has diabetes, who has maybe some dysfunctional habits that aren't good for them, and they do them anyway. So my point in saying this is that some people are, we can take, in fact, I knew a set of identical twins, guys in their 50s who are identical twins. They developed heart disease within a couple of years of each other, and then, and then they developed diabetes within a couple of years of each other. And one of them took an extremely proactive attitude toward his diabetes, and he took his blood sugar several times daily, and he was made radical changes in his diet and his exercise. And, you know, he had some progression, but it was slow, and it was managed, and he kept his, his activity rate up, and, and his general resilience was pretty strong. And his brother did not do that. And his brother, you know, managed his diabetes basically by getting an insulin pump and tracking his insulin. And then when he wanted something like an extra piece of pie or a big plate of pasta or whatever it was that was going to drive his blood sugar up, he would, with his pump, just dial up his dose of insulin. It's a different way of coping with it. And it was his way, which was right for him. But the rules about massage therapy for each of these two examples or each of these two individuals, even though they have essentially the same disease, the guidelines for massage therapy are going to be really, really different because one, is, one person is going to have a much higher risk of complications than the other. One person is going to have much more resilience and um, elasticity and capacity for adaptation than the other.
0: Okay, so let's take oh. the person who is more resilient. So how would we work okay. with that person?
1: So here's, here's the question I love to ask. Is it Does your doctor recommend that you get aerobic exercise? If the answer to that question is yes, then there's probably very little that can happen in a full-body, 60- to 90-minute Swedish massage that is going to tax homeostatic um, um, adaptation any more than 30 minutes of aerobic exercise, right? Where if if you ask that question, does your doctor want for you to get aerobic exercise? And the answer is, well, and this is one of the twins, um, my doctor says, if my pulse gets over a certain level, I could start forming blood clots. So I have to exercise in the gym at the hospital um, and, you know, and have like, um, electrodes hooked up to me to make sure that I'm, not, that I'm not pushing my limits too far. So here's a person with reduced capacity and less resilience. And, um, and so the demands in terms of massage therapy that I would make on this person when we think about pushing fluid or sort of radically, I don't, I don't know that we radically change someone's state, but, but, but demanding adaptation. Um, With the second guy, I would choose modalities that demand less. I would be looking for a a small change in blood pressure if we're aiming for that. I would be looking for a smaller change in skin temperature. Um, So what modalities modalities would fall under that? Well, Swedish is fine, but I mean, there's Swedish and there's Swedish. Mm -hmm. There's massage, there's sports massage and there's...
0: Light touch massage. Light touch massage. Acupressure
1: Sure. One of the wonderful things about acupressure and trigger point work and neuromus- uh, yeah, PNF and neuromuscular facilitation and 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 those whole approaches that are more about holds rather than um, scoops uh, is is that the places where we really, when you think about when you're tense and you really want to massage, where most people are hoping to get touched, right, is between their scapula, right, and over the top of the scapula the wonderful thing about our human construction, no big blood vessels here, right? So no endangerment sites here, where that ends up being a little iffy is when you reach over the front of the trapezius because now you're in posterior triangle of the neck,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? But for, you can give a fabulous, incredibly relaxing massage and not push a bunch of fluid through by simply doing, you know, gentle, gentle touch and static pressure where static pressure is called for.
0: Yeah. You yeah.
1: know, so, um, I don't like to talk a lot about specific modalities, um, because that was never my strength as a practitioner. I, I, I did at one point practice, I practiced massage for, gosh, I forget 15 or 16 years. And, um, and when I stopped my practice and didn't go back, I didn't miss it. It wasn't my favorite part of, of my career. And I, I was confident and I was safe, but I was I wouldn't call myself in any way gifted. I wasn't that good at it. So uh, I, I don't presume to tell people, well, this modality is appropriate, but that one's not. I'm much more interested in saying, here are the risks. How are you going to adapt your skill set to accommodate this person's risks
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and another part of that too Haley is is I am uh I'm a bit of a dinosaur in our profession I went to massage school almost 35 years ago and I graduated from a very intensive and ahead of its time program of a whopping 125 hours it's my first transcript Um, and I, you know, I finished that program knowing how to give a really good full body Swedish massage and a little bit of deep tissue. And that's all, that's all I had when I entered the market. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and people who, you know, kids today, um, entering the the field have many, many more skills available to them than I had. Um, what I, what I hope and, and want to contribute to is also having, um, people who are entering the field in addition to having many skills, having, the ability to do good clinical decision-making for how to apply those skills.
0: Yeah. Well, in this conversation, and it's clear that you can, you can take any one thing and it can go very deep in terms of the conversation and the possibilities. And that leads me to my next question, which is, is it better to get really good at working with one or two conditions or is it better to have a general knowledge of many conditions?
1: Well, I can't give you an unbiased opinion on that.
0: (laughs) I will take your biased opinion then.
1: Well, all right. I mean, my, here's what I think. I think if um, it, it depends so much on what your target market is. So if you're a massage therapist and you really love to work with runners, maybe you're a runner and that's your community, that's your tribe, and that's the people you want to focus with, then it makes a huge amount of sense to focus on the kinds of uh problems that runners develop right because those are these are the skill sets that you want to bring with you to your target market um i don't think that it's a great idea to do that at the expense of knowing about other conditions because people have more a because people have more than one condition at a time and b because you know let's see your your buddy joe the runner wants to bring in his mother-in-law who has osteoporosis and, um, um, you know, early, early onset Alzheimer's um, because, he, because he knows that you're really skilled and you're really good at what you do. So here would you help out my mother-in-law. Um, and that puts us either in the position of having to say, gosh, sorry, not in my skill set, or of saying, um, I guess I can help, but maybe not really knowing what the risks and benefits are or of getting educated. And if not having that stuff, you know, easily at at the tip of your tongue, having good resources and knowing how to look things up and knowing how, this is what it comes to, isn't it? Knowing how to take information and apply it usefully. That's all about critical critical thinking. Critical thinking leading to good clinical decisions.
0: Um, And, And having the support of resources that you trust and can can lead you down that path of reasonable clinical decision making,
1: right? And I'm glad that you bring that up because I want to say two things about that. One is Doctor Google is not necessarily um,
0: the best resource. How about Doctor WebMD?
1: Actually, I'll tell you the truth. I well, uh, WebMD is an outgrowth of another of another group called eMedicine. I love eMedicine.
0: Okay, eMedicine, um, and
1: I, I use it a lot. It it's free, but you have to be a subscriber and and stuff, but. Uh, I use that for, I get a lot of really great technical information from that. Um, but you know where's another really, really bad idea for getting information is Facebook. <laughs> I cannot tell you. And I stopped, when I was new on Facebook, I would dive into these conversations, right? Because I'm the pathology queen. I want to, you know, people, I usually have pretty accurate information and I would like for people to have access to that. And I just gave up. I mean, I just gave up because a there are too many facebook groups to to participate in but b because people are people say goofy stuff people say goofy goofy things and um and there's no and accountability
0: I, that's the other thing and there's thing. no
1: accountability and and uh, you know well i want to believe that it's all coming from a good place um it's not all it's not always accurate so I really would love for people to develop some resources that they like, like a massage therapist guide to pathology, e-medicine. Um, I, uh, when I get a question as, as I frequently do that, I can't answer. Um, my go-to resources are e-medicine, the national institutes of health and the centers for disease control. Um, And then if it's about a specific condition, very often there are foundations for conditions like the Parkinson's foundation or the Alzheimer's foundation or whatever. And, and a lot of times they will have some really good resources, both for medical professionals and for lay people, um, to, you know, to explain what the, this condition is to explain what the most common treatment options are. Um, and a lot of times when we're making decisions about massage, it might be related to the condition, but it might be related to what the person's doing to treat it. Uh, and and that, that's another place where people don't get enough education is about the, the overlap between massage therapy and pharmacology.
0: Right. The medications used to treat certain conditions. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what are you most excited about in terms of the current progress around pathologies and massage therapists working with pathologies?
1: One of the things I find really exciting about our field at this moment in time, both exciting and sometimes um, frustrating, is a a wider and broader interest in what the research says. And that is um, a two-edged sword. I think it's a wonderful thing to happen, but for every good thing that happens, there are often unintended bad things that go along with it. Um, but the fact that massage therapists, at least in my circle of acquaintance, um, are, are becoming more cognizant of the fact that there is some decent research, really a, a, as rigorous as, as we as a profession are ready to do, which on the scale of things isn't, isn't a high step, but it's higher than we've ever been, Okay um, about massage therapy in specific circumstances. So, you know, when I went to, when I went to massage school, uh, first of all, it was before there was an internet. (laughs) Um, but secondly, you know, if you wanted to do a search for what does massage do for cancer, what does massage do in the context of Parkinson's? What does massage do in the context of diabetes? Really, you'd find little or nothing. And what you would find would probably be on, um, pretty, Primitive kinds of experiments done with animal models, like you know, in order to find out what petrissage does, they would inject dye into a rabbit's ear, which is really easy to see, and then they petrissage the rabbit's ear and they'd see how the dye moves, and that's oh, okay, that's what petrissage does. Yeah, you have this <laughs> funny look on your face. Um, that you know, as a as an experimental model, it's it's not bad, um, but it you know compared to. Uh, the way we'd like to think of the work that we do, it seems a little mean.
0: Yeah, I, I, also, feel, bad for the, I feel bad for the rabbit. That's yeah, a, right. I, I can't you know, get past that. Animal,
1: animal experimentation is always kind of a, a, a thing. Um, but now if you were to go, and I'd, I'd, I'll, I'll give you this resource and we can do it in print if you like too, but if you were to go to PubMed, P-U-B, like going to the pub, pubmed.gov, this is the world's largest database of peer-reviewed academic articles on life sciences. So at PubMed.gov, if you, go, if you just do that, you'll end up on their search page. And in the search box, you can put massage therapy and like, they got Google engineers to work with this search function, which is a huge boost over how it used to be, which was the Boolean search, which is a monumental pain in them. You know what? in the what yeah um so you go to pubmed.gov and type in massage and headaches type in massage and flat, um, feet. flat feet oh my gosh i'm tempted to do that right this second just to see what happens or pes planus which is the fancy word for, for flat feet and you know you, the, the the chances are decent you'll end up with a list of articles at least of titles so, and 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 people are beginning finally to do this, to actually do this, to say, well, you know, my client with headaches, what I'm doing is not working. Maybe someone has a different approach that might be better. And you put in massage and headaches and you look through a few abstracts and you say, okay, there's an article that looks like my situation. And we can not have to reinvent this wheel over and over again. So for me, that's a really exciting thing that's happening in the world of massage and pathology is people are beginning to be open-minded to, um, to the resources that we already have. And, and then hopefully, although we have some severe obstacles in our way to doing this, um, I would love to see more massage therapists get involved in conducting research. Um, that in this country is going to be hard to do until we have such a thing as an advanced degree in massage therapy, which we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the people who are doing research in massage are, are sometimes uh, massage therapists who have gone through, you know, to get a PhD in, in gerontology or in psychology or in other, other fields, and then they just choose to do their research on massage. Or people doing research on massage are not massage therapists. And if we're lucky, they hire consultants to work with them so that their projects are you know, have some kind of external validity, their projects have some kind of reflection of what real life practice looks like. Um, But that has not, that is not always the case. And so we get research, we get data that that might not be that reliable because the person didn't really know what massage was.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, going to your time as an educator, uh, Mm -hmm. was there a question you wished your students would have asked more or asked at all?
1: Mm -hmm. truthfully, I can't think of one. I have had, I've been blessed with wonderful. Can I tell you about my favorite question that I ever got? Sure.
0: I'll take that. Okay.
1: Yeah, this will be, this will be a hoot. So I taught for 15 years um, at a lovely massage school in Salt Lake city in Utah. And in Utah, there are some funny things about public school and sex education. Um, It's very, very limited. And so I was teaching uh, uh, in class one day, and the topic that we were talking about was um, genital warts. And I had a very brave student. I mean, it took a lot of guts for this, for this person to ask this question. Put up their hand and say, um, if you have warts on your hand and you you know touch yourself, are you at risk for developing genital warts? And I was blown away. And I didn't know the answer. So, so I went to the Centers for Disease Control, and I found a phone number. And I called it, and somebody answered. Which, I mean, those those two things, finding a phone number and calling it and having someone answer, that's, those are kind of big, kind of fluky. Right. And I said, um, if you have warts on your hand and you masturbate, are you at risk for genital warts? And I'm positive this guy thought I was some terrified 17-year-old, right? <laughs> um, and he said, no, you know, there's different kinds of HPV and the kinds that tend, we tend to see in the common warts on our hands and the, the kinds that we see in genital warts are two different species. They don't really correlate. Um, and so really, you don't have to worry about honey. It's okay. So <laughs> But I just, you know, I, I I am so grateful to that student for having asked that question because it took a lot of guts to do that, you know, and and um, and it made me really appreciate the courage that it takes to, um, you know, to take on a topic that can be so intimidating.
0: Absolutely, yes, and then know. I'm sure the the courage they showed uh, meant that you couldn't possibly not then go find out and make oh, that absolutely. call.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, the class, like, grand to a
0: halt. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ruth. I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a really great conversation with lots of little nuggets, and uh, I, <laughs> I now know how to uh, look up on eMedicine. e-medicine. I now <laughs> know. Yeah, I now know how to look up on eMedicine and PubMed.com. There you go. Good resources for for me and for all you listeners out there. So it's
1: PubMed.gov.
0: PubMed.gov. All right. Well, I'll put the link in the the, the show notes so that they have access to that. And I'll also put uh, links to your website and to your books uh, so they can have hand copies the real tangible thing. The real thing. Yeah, very good. Okay, so thank you so much, Ruth. Um, Thanks, Haley. And uh, it's been a great conversation. I look forward to talking to you again.
1: All right. Take Take care. care.
0: thank you so much for tuning in today if you enjoyed the episode please go ahead and review it on itunes and if you have any questions that you had wished i had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future please visit the website at www.howsthepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully i can include it until next time be good and be well